Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. I'm Douglas Peak. I'll be bringing your message today, and I want to invite you to personally, or personally invite you, I guess is a better way to say it, to become a part of our community of faith. But before you do that, you need to check us out. And we have a way for you to do that, especially if you're new, you just moved to Idaho, or you're watching online, or you're across the globe, or wherever you're at. There's a way to do that anonymously. You can text FHNEW to 72000. And that allows you to just kind of anonymously check out, get to know us and what we're about. And one thing, just to be a little spoiler, we're all about Jesus. That's our thing. Follow Jesus, know Jesus, engage with him so that you can personally walk with him. One of the best ways to do that in your journey of faith through baptism. And so the first Sunday of every month, is Baptismal Sunday. And so we like people to kind of focus on just that regular time of getting baptized. The last Sunday of the month is when we try to have a little thing to answer questions. So right after the service in the chapel will be just a little Q&A about baptism. And if you just have questions about it or you wonder about it, uh, you can go over there and get some answers. If you're ready to uh, look into a little bit of the deep teaching on it, or you want to schedule one, just text FH Baptism to 72,000, and that will get that ball rolling. Now, we're in a series called Storybook Endings, and it's all about what relationship story are you writing? Because what you do today is the ending you're going to get later. Are you writing a storybook ending? Or are you writing a Greek tragedy? And so that's what we are focusing on. Now, We started last week with saying that we are created in the image of God, and because we're created in the image of God, part of that means that we are relational beings. We're designed to connect to others, either in friendships, uh, romantically and in marriage, with our children and our parents and our siblings, and then in the world with co-workers and maybe neighbors and friends. Now, today we're going to talk about the number one thing that undermines all relationships, and that is this, conflict, unresolved conflict in particular. Now, we all experience conflict, but we don't understand why it's so toxic and why it undermines relationships. And it's because we get half of the equation of conflict right, okay? Oftentimes, what we do is that the reason why we have conflicts with another person is because that person is a jerk, <laughs> right? Isn't that how it works? But I, I just wanted to illustrate for you a little something, and that is, is it's simple, but it kind of uh, has the point, and that is, is that, okay, you could be friends. You could have a partnership that's really effective in business, You could be married. Now, all of these relationships are important relationships, right? Some a little important than others. But also, what they do is they have some things in common. And that is, is that if you're in a relationship with somebody, you know, here you are, right? Here they are, boom. And what happens is at some point, 
you have a conflict, right? Over something. It could be small, it could be something big. But what that is, is that's like bumping into each other, right? And then what happens is you make a mess because you spill, right? Whenever you bump, you spill. Now, down here, I have some, some little bit of this red, a little bit of green, and, and something in between. I'm not quite sure what that color is. But that's what happens. So every time you bump into each other, you know, oh, oh, things come splashing out. And you rightfully will say to yourself, you know what? That stuff wouldn't have happened and made that mess if that person wouldn't have bumped into me, right? If that person hadn't annoyed me or pressed my buttons or gotten under my skin, right? That's true. And that's half the equation. Because the other reason why that stuff came out of you and made a mess isn't just because somebody bumped into you. It's because it's in there. It's in there. All right? Now, we're going to study Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul writes to the church on where conflict comes from and why it is so toxic. But in order to understand the teaching of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, you have to understand this concept. And this concept is this, is that I have conflicts with other people because they bump into me because they have a taint in them, but this stuff comes out of me because it's in me too. All right? So let me pull out the Bible here, and we're going to read chapter 4 of Ephesians, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then what we're going to do is we're going to jump down to verse 17. And we're going to skip over those uh, verses, those 12 verses, not because they're not important, because it talks about leadership in the church and how it's designed, and also some of that initial uh, personal interaction with God uh, to grow personally. So uh, we don't want to, uh, it's not that it's not important, I just wanted to focus on the stuff that's really about us and conflict and where it comes from and how to resolve it. Okay, so let's begin reading. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Listen to these highly important virtues when it comes to relationships. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So something happens when you become a redeemed follower of Christ that the Holy Spirit now has done work in you so it's possible to overcome the things that undermine our relationships, right? And what he's saying is you got to make every effort to do it. It takes work. It's not easy. Listen to what he says next. Okay, verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now let's jump down to verse 17. Therefore, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. So he's saying, I insist. In other words, this is the way it needs to, must be done. Focus on this. I insist. He goes, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance or the lack of knowledge that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So to apply that specifically to this situation, what he's saying is that 
what they, they're done, they become so hard, they don't think that there's anything inside of them that's wrong. You see? The problem is everybody else, not them. And he says, this is a hardening of your heart. He goes on to say this. He goes, having lost all sensitivity, meaning they're incapable of understanding the other people in their lives, they give themselves over to sensuality as so and to indulge every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Now, we know people like this in the world in which we live. People who are incapable of giving relationally, they can only take. In the dating world today, they call that dating a narcissist. This person's always taking, never giving. Always controlling, never empowering or encouraging. In marriages, we see this is very toxic in marriages. When people say, I'm going to Uh, give myself over to sensuality of every kind, and it destroys the relationship. They, uh, one of the biggest things that interferes with marriages, it breaks down companies and partnerships, is when people get addicted to things. Uh, If you get addicted to uh, uh, gambling, or you get addicted to drugs, you get addicted to any type of opiates, if you get addicted to pornography, these things tend to make you a more self-centered person and not a more relationally engaged person, okay? So that's, so that's how we would apply that today. Verse 20, listen to what he says. However, this is not the way of life you learned. So this new way of life has to be taught. It's not in you naturally. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of your mind. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully, to your neighbor, for we are members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, not their wants, their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Wow, that is a lot of teaching right there. And that teaching has a lot to do with the number one toxin that undermines all relationships, which is unresolved conflict. Okay, And so what we need to do is we need to understand this 
basic teaching in a way. So I built a graphic around it because what I want you to see in this graphic is that part of the reason why we have uh, conflict is because we bump into people, but the other half of the equation is that is because there's stuff inside of us that can be a little toxic, and that comes out when we get bumped into. Normally, we're pretty good at hiding it, right? But you put it under pressure, or someone pushes your buttons, then what's happening? Wah! It comes out, you know? And so, I want to show you uh, what Jesus is teaching through Paul that's so different, Okay? And it's based upon what we talked about last week and what we're learning this week. And that is, is that, look, your heart is you have a soul, okay? And in your soul, you desire certain things. You desire joy and happiness. So the desire to be happy and filled with joy is awesome. You desire meaning and purpose. You know, it's a big deal for men, like men who work and they say, man, I got to do something. I got to be productive. Why do they say that? Because they need meaning and purpose in their life. You need value and affirmation. You need to know that I matter, that I have value intrinsically. You uh, are attracted to beauty and aesthetics. We love that. I, uh, one of the things I like is I like the mountains. I like nature. I love getting out into nature. What is it about doing a big hike and then standing up and then you look out over uh, what you just hiked and you go, wow, that is gorgeous. You know, whenever I go skiing, I, I love to go skiing at Tamarack. Every time I get off the lift, I just stop there for a moment. And I just look out. It's just like, Man, look at that. This is beautiful. Why is it that uh, these types of things move us? Well, because it's part of our soul, right? But here's what's interesting about us, okay? Now, in Buddhism, well, before I talk about that, let me just simply say that in atheism, scientific materialism, and secular humanism, guess what? There is no, that you, there is no you that is you. There's no soul. It doesn't exist. So these things are all illusions, Okay, that's what they say. I'm not making that up. Number two, Buddhism says, yeah, you want these things, but the fact that you want them is why you're unhappy. So the threefold path is basically don't expect these things. Just don't expect them, and then you won't suffer because suffering comes from expectations. In Hinduism, what they say that, look, these things are, are not even part of the point. You see, what you, in Hinduism, you're locked in an ever-endless cycle of death and rebirth, okay? And that's his reincarnation. In the life you're now living, you're paying for the sins of past lives that you can't remember, okay? And the only way out of this cycle is to find a lesser God that's connected to the higher three gods, and then through the devotion to them, the next time you make that loop, you can climb up the ladder. Oh, and by the way, just so that you know, the way you know you're climbing up the ladder is based on the color of your skin. A lot of people don't know that. See, in India, the whole caste system is very powerful, and caste in Hindi means color. A lot of people are not aware of that. In Islam, this is not the point either, okay? The point is, is that you must worship Allah in a manner He requires. So you, you have to find out what He requires and comply. And that's why the meaning of Islam is submission. It's 100% submission. Now, Jesus says something totally different. You know what Jesus says? Guess what? 
All of the stuff inside of you is a reflection of God's image in you, which is awesome. So your desire to be happy and filled with joy is a great desire. To have meaning and purpose, value, affirmation, to enjoy the beauty around you, to be productive and make a difference. These are all wonderful things about you. Isn't that cool? You got a problem, though. You got a little problem. And you know what the problem is? All of these things are tainted, okay? So instead of clear, pure liquid inside, you got a little discoloration going on. And it doesn't take a lot to taint it. And so all of these drives that I have that come from being created in the image of God are perverted by the taint. And we see this all the time. Human beings love the outdoors, don't we? But human beings are really good at dumping trash in the outdoors. Isn't that interesting, right? Um, people love to be valued and affirmed, but human beings struggle with valuing and affirming people equally. We want meaning and purpose in our lives, right? But oftentimes we will use people, human beings will use others to find meaning and just take from them. Joy and happiness. Some people pursue happiness, but why is it that oftentimes happiness just becomes a form of sensuality? You see, these are good drives, but what Jesus says is you've been tainted by them, the taint influences them, and that's why I came to die on the cross, and that is just to remove the taint, to remove the influence of sin in your life so that you can understand, right, what it means to walk in the fullness of every good thing that you have in Christ. This is why I say, I know it's a little, uh, it's not controversial, but it's strong, you can never find out who you truly are outside of Jesus. Never going to happen. It's not going to happen. And this is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. And the reason why is because all of these things are perverted in every other system, you see? And they're, you're never set free from them. Only Jesus says, because my work on the cross has set you free, right? But now that you're free, you've got to learn how to live free. And that's why Paul says here, I insist you no longer live as the Gentiles who are still locked in these systems, right? I want you to do something different. I want you to live in a way that you have been taught. And you need to make every effort to do that. And that, my friends, is called learning conflict resolution skills. All right? That's what it's called. Because conflict resolution is learning how to separate the image of God within you from the desires that come from the chaos of the taint. So the taint creates chaos in all of the good desires that come from the image of God. Are you tracking with me on this? Right? So what happens is that's what conflict resolution skills do, is they teach you how to separate that. And Paul says something very important in verse 23, right? Look at what he says here. I want to read it again for you. Verse 23, he says, you must be made new in the attitude of your mind. Now, the reason why 
it doesn't happen very often for people in our society to find this new walking with Christ effective is because they rely on their emotions instead of their mind. I feel this way, I feel this way, I feel this way, and God wants me to do this. What does your brain tell you? You see, because oftentimes our conflict resolution skills are based on our feelings. Our feelings are developed in our family of origin, and your family of origin never, ever, never, ever finds a perfect match with a person who grew up in another family of origin. Are you tracking with me? In other words, it's impossible to find that. So you're like, wow, if you know what, I I would do really good with men if I could just find my soulmate. Okay, that's an emotional, uh, you, you know that you can't find one, you have to develop one, right? So, boy, I could have the best business if I could just find the right partner. Well, that doesn't mean there's people you shouldn't do business with. But what it does mean is that there's not a unicorn that's this perfect match for your stuff, right? So what you have to do is you have to realize conflict resolution skills are necessary for every relationship. And the part of conflict resolution skills that's so deep spiritually is that I need to learn how to separate what God has placed in me that's a good desire from how the taint perverts it. And that is where your relationships go from here to there. So let's look at some of the practical things he says on how to do that, okay? Well, the first thing he says here is look at, uh, and these are all listed in the message notes within uh, the phone app. So if you don't have time to write these down, because I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. If you don't have time to write these down, don't worry about it because they are all there. All right. So I just want to make sure my Bible is in good shape when I lay it down. I don't want to put my Bible in the mess, even though the Bible could cure the mess. Okay. Just say, look at what he says. Uh, um, number one, the first thing he says, pragmatically speaking, if you want to develop your good Uh, conflict resolution skills for all of your relationships, he goes, number one, you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Number one, you must lay aside falsehood. Now, what does that mean? Now, I've had people uh, over the years, these are always kind of funny stories, but um, I've had people uh, since I've been here for so long, I got oh, so many stories, but people will come up afterwards and they they will say to me, the Lord told me to tell you. Now, when I was young, I was a little nervous about that. Oh, my goodness. Now I could just kind of chuckle and think to myself, okay, this will be fun, you know? And I mean, the things that I have heard, you know, the Lord has told me to tell you, your hair is too long or too short. You preach too short or you preach too long. Drums are of the devil. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Some of it's kind of funny. And then I go, well, why do you feel the need to tell me that? Well, because it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, we are to speak truthfully. And I go, you know that you're totally misinterpreting what that message says or what that passage says. What that passage says is that you need to lay aside your own falsehood. You need to learn to recognize that part of the reason you're in conflict is because you are not as pure as the driven snow. You're not. None of us are. 
We used to use this thing and say, look, I'm not responsible for your stuff, but if I want to be a healthy person, I need to take responsibility for what? My stuff, my contribution. That's what it means. Lay aside falsehood. That's the first thing. The second thing he says in verse 26, listen to this. He says, do in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your angry or while you're angry. So you have to deal with your anger. Anger fuels conflict. It doesn't resolve it. Okay. But here's what's really interesting about anger is that anger is a secondary emotion. A lot of people don't realize that, is that you feel a primary emotion, and then because of the way it makes you feel, you go to anger. This is really important to understand. If you feel vulnerable, guess what? You don't like feeling vulnerable because people take advantage of you when you're vulnerable, so what do you do? You get angry. You get hurt. Somebody hurts you, and so you don't like feeling hurt, right, or disempowered, so what do you do? You get angry as a response. What happens over time is our anger bubbles up and starts to control us. It becomes so reflexive, right, that you can't help yourself. And so it just happens so quickly you don't even think about it. But what he's saying is if you really want to grow as a person, you want to have really good relationships, whether it's partnerships, a great marriage, you want to date the right person and fall in love, guess what? Learn how to deal with your anger. Because your anger will make toxicity in your relationships and undermine all of them. Number three, he says, let those who steal, steal no longer in verse 28, but that they should, what, work with their hands so they have something to share with others. I don't have time to explain to you how the Roman economy worked, but it's nothing like our economy, right? And there was no welfare state. There was no social safety network. There was no nothing. And so because of that, the economy and how it operated was radically different. And so in a way, the the principle that we're going to take from this statement is that you have to be productive, okay? Be productive. And don't be a taker. Try and figure out how to be a giver. You see, if you're always a taker in all your relationships, if you're a taker in your marriage, if you're a taker in your friendships, if you're a taker with your business partners, guess what? You ain't going to have any for very long, right? If you really want to get, if you really want to do well, you've got to be in a situation that you are saying, look, I want to try to be a giver in this situation. This is what I, I tell young people who are dating is like, don't try to find the person who fits with you perfectly. Find the person that you can make a commitment to love with everything you've got the rest of your life. That's different. You see, that's different. And so one of the things you got to do is you got to be productive. You see, it's very, very important. Number four, look at what he says in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Oh, my goodness. Why is that in there? Can we skip over that? What, what he's saying is, look, you need to use words well. You need to use words well. You know, that is really important. When you're speaking to people, who's listening? Well, they are. Well, at least you hope. You know, sometimes you're kids, you talk and you're like, you're not listening to me, right? You get down on their level and you go, look me in the eye. I want to make sure you get this. 
right? But guess what? When you're talking, let's say when you're married, all right, and you're talking to, the, you're talking to your spouse, but guess who else is hearing the words that you're speaking? You are. If you're in business with somebody and you're resolving a conflict, you're talking to them, you're trying to share your point, they're hearing your words, but who else is hearing your words? You are. And guess what? Sometimes we use words that make us weak. Sometimes we say words that make us a victim. That's, that's not using words well. The other aspect of using words well is trying to figure out a way to communicate with the person so they understand where you're coming from. Uh, one great way to use words uh, well is to use word pictures. You see, you, you can use them over and over again. So use words really well. Number five, Look at what he says in verse 31. If you want to resolve conflict well, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. So he says, look, you need to eliminate all of the bad thoughts, all of the bad actions, and all the bad attitudes in your life as much as possible. If you have a lot of bad attitudes, you have a lot of bad thoughts, you have a lot of bad actions, guess what? Then you, that man, I'm not dealing with my anger. I, I have falsehoods in my own life that I believe that I need to get rid of. There's a lot going on in there. Take time to dig it out. Because guess what? The desires of your heart are pure, but if they've been perverted by the taint, you need to deal with that. So eliminate those things. There was, a, this is an old story. I don't know if it's true, but um, there was this gal who went to see a preacher and said, look, I hate my husband. I want to divorce him. And he goes, well, why are you coming to see me? She goes, because I want you to help me figure out to make it the most painful thing in his life when I drop the papers on him. And so the pastor goes, okay, you want to make it the ultimate betrayal? Yes, I do. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to go home and I want you to pretend like you love him. And I want you to pretend like you're the kindest, best wife there ever was. And I just want you to give yourself completely to this and da da da. So she goes home, right? And so this whole new attitude crops up. And of course, as a guy, he never knew what was going on because he can't read her mind. And so he was just like, she doesn't like me. And so he, so, so he starts to change, you know, because it's like a totally different dynamic. There's all this stuff going on. And so six months later, he calls her on the phone, the pastor does, and says, hey, are you ready to divorce him? Come down and we'll get the papers. And she goes, I can't divorce him now. Well, why? Because I love him. I know it's silly, but there's a lot of truth in that. You know, what we sow, we what? Reap. And if we sow bad attitudes and bad actions and bad thoughts, then there's a good chance you're going to be reaping what? Some of that in your life. Number six, look at verse 32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Focus on doing things that are kind and compassionate. You see, you have to be kind and compassionate. You have, to, you have to operate in a way that says, I value you enough to respect your position, and so I'm going to be kind towards you. I respect you enough 
said, I'll be compassionate in this situation with you. You see, one of the things that happens is we get, we have a good desire in our heart. It's perverted by the taint. So what do we do? We say, well, I don't care what my business partner wants. I'm doing it anyway. Well, guess what? That's not kind. That's not compassionate at all. Sometimes married couples, what they do is, I, I had a friend and uh, uh, he was newly married. And one day he drove home with a new four-wheel drive truck. And his wife was like, what's that? He goes, oh, I bought a truck. And she goes, uh, you didn't even call me? And he goes, was I supposed to? He was newly married. She goes, yeah, we don't have any money, but it was a great deal. And I said, well, how did you know you were to take it back? He goes, well, I, uh, I put it in reverse to take it back, and it wouldn't go into reverse. So I knew I made a bad deal. <laughs> so he bought a truck that wouldn't go into reverse, and he didn't even know it. She was not happy. So he had to go back. The only way to heal that when you do that stuff is you have to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Because look at the last thing is we have to forgive. He says, be kind and compassionate. But number seven is forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. So forgiveness, you know, we are so good at holding on. I, I was talking to a guy one time and he was talking about trying to resolve conflicts with his wife. And he's like, well, I just need some counsel on this and this, that, and the other. And what do I do? And I go, I go, well, explain to me what happens, you know, when you guys start getting into an argument. Well, whenever we get into an argument, she gets uh, historical. And I mean, oh, you mean hysterical. He goes, no, I mean historical. <laughs> she remembers every single thing I've done wrong <laughs> since I met her. And she brings it all up. And I went, oh, I get what you mean. We're so good at what? Keeping accounts. We're so good at remembering. What, why is it so interesting if I said, you know, um, what are the five things that your spouse do that drives you nuts? You'd go, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> but if I said, what are the five best gifts you got from your spouse? You'd go, well, one time I got this and then, hmm, well, I think I got, that was really fun. And you'd have to stop and think about it. Why, 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 why are we that way? You know, it's interesting. Our hurts we remember so clearly on the day they happen, but the good times, the good investments sometimes take a little bit longer to remember. The reason why is because Satan wants to take the joy of our hearts and pervert it to hurts. And forgiveness is the salve that heals it all. It's, uh, this is one of the things I tell you. If you're married... If you have friendships, if you have relationships with your kids and you want to keep them healthy, saying sorry doesn't cut it. Saying sorry doesn't cut it, especially when you say sorry like this. You say, son, I'm sorry I screamed at you and took your car away, but you are, you are back sassing me and you don't clean your room and you're not getting an A in math. Because that's how we say sorry, right? What do we do? We point out all their stuff. So what are we doing? We're falsely accusing them. How do you lay aside falsehood? You know what you say? You go, son, 
I'm sorry because I was wrong in the way I treated you. Would you please forgive me? And until those words come out of your mouth, forgive me, please. Sorry doesn't cut it. So I wish I had hours to go in on this. Why don't we just cut out a few more hours and just spend some time together? What do you say? (laughs) Yeah, giddy. Conflict resolution skills are so deeply spiritual in nature because they help you understand the difference between the desires that come from being created in the image of God and the things that taint them towards a wrong end. And that's called wisdom. That's called maturity. That is called a powerful faith. And that's what I hope for you. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.